What's up? I'm Thomas. You're listening to the Niagara Moon Podcast. And today I want to tell you all about a band, a group of musicians that uh, I first discovered when I was a teenager that uh, I really, really liked. I still do. I consider them very um, impactful on my, uh, my tastes and my, uh, my sensibilities as a musician. Um, just the sort of stuff I like to listen to, what I like to make. Um, these guys are some of my musical heroes, and um, they're a, a Japanese band, so of course anybody I typically c- come across is not going to know anything about them. So I thought I'd take the opportunity um, for the next uh, episode or two to tell you about Happy End, formed in 1969 and uh, dissolved in 1972. So they had a full three years together. Uh, Happy End is composed of Haruomi Hosono on bass, uh, Takashi Matsumoto on drums, Eiichi Otaki on, I guess, guitar, and Shigeru Suzuki also on guitar. Um, so that's a bunch of Japanese names right there, but I, these guys are all super talented. That's why I call them the Beatles of Japan. They're like uh, John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Um, together, they did a lot of interesting stuff and have a lot of classic songs, and uh, they all had interesting tracks as solo artists as well. Um, Haruomi Hosono is reportedly Mac DeMarco's favorite musician. And um, listening to his stuff, I definitely see why it's clearly um, evident that he was heavily in- influenced by Hosono. But anyway, we'll get to all that in, uh, in a minute. Happy End released three albums total. First one is called Happy End. Second one is called Kazemachi Roman. And the third one is also called Happy End as well. So you can... Uh, See, they weren't the most imaginative when it came to uh, titles, but the music more than makes up for it. I discovered this band around the time that I uh, got into learning Japanese when I was a teenager, about 14, 15 or so. I think what might have led to me discovering them on the, on the web uh, when I was just looking for new mu- music to check out, technically... Uh, the happy end song, Kaze o Atsumete, uh, Gather the Wind. Technically, that is on the soundtrack to Lost in Translation, the Sofia Coppola movie with uh, Scarlett Johansson and all that. Uh, technically, that song is in the soundtrack. I don't remember it being there, but um, in terms of Google results, that's kind of its claim to fame. So I was like, oh, I don't remember that song. Let's check out this band. Um, you know, I'm just looking for any new music that seems interesting. And um, that's a great song. These guys are com- composer wizards. Like, uh, they're basically um, kind of like a Japanese version of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. That's definitely a heavy influence. Or Neil Young, James Taylor. But uh, I feel they blend that all together, that early 70s folk rock sound. They, they have their own spin on it. And, um, yeah, it just led to a bunch of classic songs. Um, Like the Beatles, uh, three of the members, uh, at least three of the members shared songwriting duties, and they each kind of have their own personality. Uh, The drummer, Takashi Matsumoto, was the only lyricist, which is kind of unusual. But, um, 
yeah, Hosono, Echiotaki, and Shigeru Suzuki all sing uh, different songs. I'll point those out to you um, as I kind of sh show you uh, some of my favorite tracks of theirs. Seriously, though, when I discovered these three albums, I felt I had this treasure trove of like classic rock that nobody else knew about. And um, just as I uh, developed my own songwriting chops, I had this whole kind of well of inspiration to draw from that um, nobody else knew about it except for <laughs> other Japanese people. So I felt kind of cool about that. But um, yeah, let's show you some of what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know how things work out legally with, um, you know, me playing these songs on the podcast with, uh, without anybody's permission. So I'll just, I'll play little snippets here and there. Um, the band's first album, Happy End Edition 1, uh, in 1969. There's definitely some solid jams on that. My favorite is a song called Shin Shin Shin. And um, I know that there was recently a movie made in Japan by director Sono Shion uh, about the song. I didn't see the movie, but I thought that was pretty cool that you could make a whole song, or rather make a whole movie about a song. But here's what that sounds like. <laughs> So you got great vocal harmonies, just nice, subtle touches in the arrangement, um, really understated, but uh, yeah, I just love their melodies. Um, another standout track in this album, I think, is uh, it's a song called Asa, which just means morning. Um, so the song you just heard, the Shin Shin Shin, that was sung by Eichi Otaki, and uh, I'm guessing the other voice in there, although it was hard to tell, was probably Shigeru Suzuki. You know, who's keeping track, though? But um, this song, Asa, I feel like it, it... So I know that it's Eichi Otaki, who has my favorite uh, singing voice out of the group, but um, I feel like this is him just doing a spot-on, like, Neil Young impression. Maybe you'll, you'll hear what I mean. <laughs> So if you're into uh, my music, Niagara Moon, um, you might notice with some songs that I'm really into kind of uh, weird or unusual chord progressions, you know, that take the melody in kind of uh, unexpected places. I feel like that song does that really well. To be honest, I mean, there this uh, first album of theirs from 1969 is not my favorite um, of their whole catalog, but uh, there is one more song that I think is it's definitely an early highlight for them uh, called Junigatsu no Ame no Hi, which means a rainy day in December. And um, again, I love vocal harmonies, uh, which I'm sure you're also aware of. Uh, you know, if you've listened to my Niagara Moon songs, the Beatles were all about that. Um, Simon and Garfunkel, 
Elliot Smith, even to a degree. Um, and this song has one of the all-time great vocal harmonies in a uh, in a chorus, I feel. And it just changes directions in really interesting ways. Um, and full disclosure, with all these songs, I kind of listen to the lyrics here and there when I can like pick them up, you know, with my level of Japanese understanding. But I'm the kind of music listener where even if I if the song is in a language I totally don't understand, if the melody's there and all all these other things that I talk about, if I just like the overall presentation, I'm in. I don't need to know the literal meaning. Sometimes it helps not to know. <laughs> um, I could name some some stuff I listen to where I wish that the lyrics were different or that I couldn't understand the lyrics uh, just because it I don't know if you guys have that um, experience ever where the sappy or kind of half-hearted lyrics sort of ruin it for you but uh, yeah let me play a little bit of um, a rainy day in, in uh, December <laughs> So about a year later, um, after uh, Happy End, the band released uh, what's considered to be their best album. I, uh, I guess I agree with that. Um, it's the most consistent overall. Kazemachi Roman, which means roughly Wind City Romance. It's a concept album uh, where the band is sort of portraying the city of Tokyo right before the 1964 Summer Olympics, um, which was like just a really important um, period of time for the city and for the, the country in general. Maybe you could sort of compare it to uh, the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, just how like um, sort of uh, led the country to be a lot more recognized um, internationally in, ter in terms of culture or their status in the world stage maybe and um, it's probably just a, n a very nostalgic time for Japanese people I wouldn't really know but um, it's cool to think of uh, you know I always, I always like a concept album when there's um, an artist is trying to put you in a certain time and place or at least a specific mood um, I mean who doesn't love uh, Neutral Milk Hotel What's that? In an in an aeroplane over the sea? I mean, come on. But you're right there in some weirdo's version of World War II. I don't know. But uh, so Kaze Machiroman, I would say it ups the game in terms of um, songwriting quality. Uh, the harmonies of, are, of course, there. Uh, so Mac DeMarco's favorite musician, Haruomi Hosono, the bass player, he... Uh, I wouldn't say he's as present in the first album in terms of like um, songs of his really uh, cutting through and um, making the album. I mean, he has contributions here and there, but uh, Kaze Machiroman has like a lot of his best stuff for sure, starting with that uh, song from Lost in Translation, Kaze o Atsumete. Um, that's a masterpiece. Let's hear that some of that right now. Oh, I 
I could listen to that a million times. Um, I just found this out now by reading through Wikipedia, but apparently that song in particular, that's uh, Hosono playing every single instrument except for the drums, where you had Takashi Matsumoto. But, you know, that sort of instrumentation, that one-man band approach, that laid-back rhythm, I mean, come on, that's Mac the Mark on a nutshell, right? Uh, I think so, at least. Um, so that's definitely one strong highlight of the album, and there's more. Uh, Suzuki Shigeru or Shigeru Suzuki. You know, all right. So here's the thing with that. In Japan, you say the last name first. So I would, if I'm pronouncing my name in a Japanese way and saying my name, I'd be Awin Tomasu, Thomas Irwin. Um, so I'm kind of going back and forth <laughs> on that. I'm not very consistent, but uh, I'll, I'll stick with the Western version for now. So Shigeru Suzuki. Uh, he definitely has some more jams on this album, and I feel like his uh, his formidability as a guitar player um, comes more into focus. I'm assuming he's he's playing these uh, some of these gnarly guitar riffs, but again, he would be the um, the George Harrison of the group, at least I think. I've literally had this conversation with other like Japanese music dork dudes. Um, when I lived in Kyoto, we uh, we all firmly agreed, uh, you know, after show one night, yeah, Shigeru Suzuki, he'd be George Harrison for for a few reasons, but um, he's definitely the kind of the go-to um, guitar wizard. He has a very specific sound, which I'll try to indicate as we hear a few more of his uh, songs. But um, he's in full force. More might have been the case that. Uh, the last guy, H. Yotaki, with the, the pretty Neil Young voice, he, he was carrying it more early on. This is all speculation, by the way. I don't really... I'm just going with uh, my best guess, having listened to these albums. But suffice to say, um, there's lots of different strong moments in this album. I'm going to show you, uh, an, uh, again, one of the best songs they've done. Kuraya Mizaka Musasabi Henge. That's... Very stilted way of saying it, but um, so that means, if we were to translate that, ghosts of flying squirrels at Kuriyama, Kuriyamizaka. Okay, that must be someplace somewhere. Anyway, um, I don't know what it's about, but it's just an awesome sort of rollicking country song. Uh, one time, uh, this guy was hanging out with me, or we were driving around in the countryside in uh, in Kyushu in Japan. We played this song. It's definitely fit the Japanese countryside vibe. So let's hear some of that. Again, those harmonies, man. And, uh, just the, the really cool, upbeat, um, 
whole feeling of the thing. I, I love that song. A uh, couple more I wanted to share with you, this being the best album after all. Um, another uh, Hosono Haromi. I fucked up the uh, the order again. It's for you Western audiences. It's supposed to be Haromi Hosono. Another highlight of of uh, his on this album is the song Natsunandesu, which means it's summer. Um, and uh, out of all the happy end songs in general, in terms of like me understanding their, their uh, lyrics and kind of the imagery of the song, this is one that I have kind of the closest handle on. This is just um, describing uh, being kind of listless and bored and kind of wandering in the, uh, in the Japanese summertime. Let's see if you uh, pick up on that vibe. Man, listening back to these uh, these songs now for the first time in a while again, I'm, I keep hearing that <laughs> Mac DeMarco influence. So this last song from Kaze Machiroman that I'll uh, quickly share with you, um, it's called Hanaichi Monme, which uh, I don't think there's any clear translation of that for me to go off of. Hana means flower. Um, yeah, again, I don't know what uh, the song is about, but it's got a great guitar riff. Um, it's a uh, Shigeru Suzuki song, I think one of his finest. Um, he's singing it too. Um, apparently the band thought, or at least the drummer Matsumoto thought this would be um, a representative song of Happy End. That's how it's written here in Wikipedia. So it was released as a single. Um, the one you just heard, Natsunandesu, that was uh, the B-side. Pretty good uh a and B said, I think. I don't know how well it's sold in Japan, but um, yeah, let's hear some of that. <laughs> That's got my head bobbing. Uh, <laughs> I would love to be like the guy in the band who's just playing that piano that's going like dun, 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 dun. It's very funky in my mind. Um, so, yeah, that is, uh, that's the highlights of Kaze Machiroman, the second album. I think that was the first one I got familiar with when I um, torrented all these albums from some music piracy site back in the day. Uh, you know, I, I uh, was able to kind of sample some of these songs on YouTube. Um, YouTube had been out for a little while by then, but uh, I didn't know where I was going to buy it. You know, these are very uh, obscure albums outside of Japan. I don't know, maybe that's less the case now. I don't know if the uh, the word's gotten out more on these guys. 
Um, I would say having lived in Japan for a while, Happy End is not necessarily even that famous or well-known in Japan among a lot of younger listeners, um, despite some people, including myself today, calling them the Beatles of Japan. Uh, some of the members' um, other projects after Happy End were uh, more commercially successful, and I'll, I'll get into all that in part two because uh, I think this is going to run on too long at this point for one whole episode. But um, yeah, so moving on, the uh, the band released this album, which uh, you know is, is a classic now. Um, it's Rolling Stone Japan listed it as number one on uh, its list of 100 greatest Japanese rock albums of all time. It's been on some other lists as well. Their third and last album, which again was called Happy End, that was released, uh, well, it was recorded in 1972. It was released in 1973. Interesting thing about this one. So I'm all over the place with uh, telling my story about my relation to uh, to this band, but I met Haruomi Hosono um, when I was going to college in Japan, my second year going to college in Japan. So I had... Um, I was studying abroad at like a university that had a program set up for like lots of American students. And then I wanted to keep living in Japan and uh, keep uh, working on my degree. So I actually transferred to like some weird artsy school in the Kyoto area called Kyoto Seika University. And um, part of their claim to fame and uh, one of the attractions of that school was they would once in a while have uh, seminars or like... Uh, kind of guest lecturers and lo and behold Hosono was a guest lecturer and I uh, found out the day of that he was uh, coming to talk about I don't know what but I wanted to see this guy so I like canceled the uh, couple of uh, English lessons I had scheduled last minute I wasn't going to be able to tutor that day I uh, stayed on campus till that night Hosono came and he talked for like an hour and a half uh, it was about as organized as uh, how I'm doing this podcast today. He was just an old man. I think he was like in his early 70s then. He's he's still around. He's still kicking, still active. Um, he has a huge body of work. But he was just kind of rambling for like, you know, the length of a movie about whatever was on his mind that day. A lot of it was um, about music. I mean, it was awesome too. I was super glad that I got to see him. I wish he had taken questions because he just talked and talked and talked and then just left, which is like, meh. But uh, he, so he gave a little happy end background. Um, the first album in 69 or whatever, or maybe it was 70, I don't know, who cares. He, uh, the band worked with four tracks, um, much like uh, the Beatles did in their earlier days. That means like the recordings, they had four different tracks to work with and if there were more parts in the song they had to consolidate that to like one track of the four track recorder or whatever uh, nowadays people don't ever have to consider that it's it, digital there's infinite options but it uh, it puts limitations on what you can do and also sort of forces you to make certain creative decisions when you're recording and arranging a song um, so his, his so he was telling us about this, and he, the first album had four tracks. 
Kaze Machiroman had eight tracks. And so this album I'm about to talk more about, the next um, eponymous album, right? That means uh, it's called what the band's called or whatever. So Happy End in 1973 was 16 tracks, and he felt that they went too far. They were they were experimenting too much. They weren't focused. Um, I don't know if, if tensions were starting to run in the band or if they were getting burned out. I can't imagine they were... Uh, terribly commercially successful at the time. So for whatever reason, they were just kind of like freewheeling by this time. And um, there's definitely several solid songs. Um, The arrangements are more ambitious, but yeah, maybe a little of the oomph and focus is gone at this point. But I might be nitpicking a little bit. But uh, something as a, you know... obviously huge music nerd i find very interesting about this album is they uh so i guess they switch record labels they recorded it in los angeles with van dyke parks producing and van dyke parks is a very uh notable producer in the uh, last 40 50 years of music um he might be most famous as the guy who wrote lyrics with brian wilson shortly before brian wilson went insane uh brian wilson of the beach boys so van dyke parks wrote the lyrics for uh, heroes and villains, surfs up. He's a he's a weird guy, but he's brilliant. I'm uh, I happen to be pretty influenced him influenced by him myself, particularly my song Pantheon Bar. It's another story for another time. But uh, Van Dyke Parks worked with other artists a lot. He worked with Harry Nilsson, Ringo Starr, uh, Rufus Wainwright. Uh, the list goes on and on. Joanna Newsom. So he's a well-established guy in the scene. This was earlier on in his career. I don't know how these two entities ended up with each other, how this band of Japanese-speaking dudes uh, ended up working with Van Dyke Parks. Maybe one day I'll learn more about that story. But um, Hosono, so again, I'm going back to Wikipedia here. Hosono described the work with Parks as productive, but the sessions were tenuous, and the members of Happy End were disenchanted with their vision of America that they had anticipated. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Los Angeles in the 70s. I bet these guys were kind of blown out of the water. You can make a movie about that, I bet. Um, So this album's a little more hit and miss, but as I have said, there's some solid tunes on here. My favorite, um, again, it's a whole sono song, it's called Ai Ai Gasa, which means sharing umbrellas, which is a very uh, romantic image, a very romantic gesture in Japan. So it's it's this guy singing about, hey, let's hook up, basically. <laughs> but uh, let's hear some of that. I don't know. I just imagine like a Japanese farmer with like a piece of straw in his mouth and a big hat just kind of <laughs> jumping around the the barnyard. I don't I I like that song. I, it's it's uh, very chunky. It's got a nice beat. Um so that's one of the highlights. That song's been covered by a few different Japanese artists that uh, I enjoy. Um, Aiko, 
what's her name? Akiko Yano. She does a good cover of that song. But anyway, another track off of this album. Wow, I'm just playing all the Hosono songs today. I guess he was, um, he'd be my John. He's the, uh, maybe the most interesting member of the group musically. He'd be the uh, the John Lennon. Um, there's a song called Muhu Jotai, which means uh, windless conditions. Uh, I guess meaning like when you're out sailing, there's no wind. I uh, I really like the chord progression and the melody in this song. One of my uh, first times doing karaoke when I finally went out to Japan. You know, you go to a uh, karaoke bar uh, with a friend or two, and you can just get up there. Everybody's taking turns just singing something to uh, to the customers. I sang this song, and I think everybody's like, "What? What the hell <laughs> is this? This is a very odd choice, uh, especially for some uh, random American kid to just come on singing this." But let's play it. <laughs> So, uh, as I mentioned, the band broke up shortly before this album was released. Uh, I think it was a case of everybody wanting to move on, try new things, and kind of come into their own more solo artists. Everybody involved was very talented, so it's I guess it's not surprising that they uh, came to that decision. And again, I suspect that they were uh, not exactly paying all the bills as it was. Um, maybe had difficulty finding an audience, given the kind of music they had at that time. Um, so, yes, the Beatles of Japan. Suzuki is uh, my George Harrison. Hosono might be my John. Ichio Taki is uh, with his pretty singing voice, he'd be Paul. Obviously, the, the other guy, the drummer, Matsumoto, would be Ringo. Um, next episode, so I, if I uh, divide this up into two parts, I will, um, I'll delve more into each of those members' individual projects, um, if only because uh, in several cases, they kind of even outshined the work that uh, everybody did when they were the band. Um, especially Eichi Otaki, he's my man. He's like my favorite Japanese musician and um, definitely huge for me in terms of influence. I got the name Niagara Moon from him. So uh, more on that for the next episode. I'll, uh, I'll leave this off with one more song from the, uh, the 73 album. This is called Soto wa Itenki. That means um, it's nice outside, like it's nice weather. Uh, and it's uh, my man, Eichi, with this very uh, pretty high singing voice um, serenading you uh, to a conclusion. See you next time.
Oh, I got an. I I have to add an addendum. <laughs> I just read a little bit more about this last album, uh, with Van Dyke Parks. Uh, apparently he initially refused to uh, to work with them. Um, they just like walked into a studio unannounced, asked him to give them the Cal- the California sound. Uh, so, but he was, he blew them off until um, they were shown a uh, a suitcase full of new one hundred dollar bills uh, from Happy Ends manager. Oh, what? <laughs> Again, I want to see a movie about this. Um, and also, so Van Dyke Parks uh, took him on reluctantly. Uh, the language barrier was an issue with uh, the studio personnel in the band. And uh, apparently Parks was also drunk the whole time and he tried to lecture them about Pearl Harbor and World War II. Oh, yeah. I, uh, if I ever get to talk to Van Dyke Parks, I might want to question him a little bit on that. That's, that's just too weird. Um, anyway, I'll see you later. <laughs>